speaking, I want to speak about um, faith in a cul-de-sac, I've called it, from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. Uh, By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Uh, This whole story of that is in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 14 and 15. But let let me tell you the story so far. The story so far is the people of God have have acted in faith. Good to look back and think, when was the last time I I did that? I hope we're living by faith and making faith decisions. But they had had, um, done what Moses told them to do. Moses had faith and he imparted that faith to others. It's good to do that as well. And so Moses had said, what you do is there's got to be a sacrifice because the angel of death's passing over. You'll be judged if you don't get yourself covered by the blood of this lamb. It's a wonderful picture of what Jesus does, actually. Uh, We're in deep trouble if our sins are not somehow covered from a holy God through the blood of Jesus, who called himself the Lamb of God and died on the cross for us. So so they put their faith in, in, in the lamb. That's how we start our Christian life, isn't it? We put our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and so because of that, they started a journey. That's not the des- destination. You don't get a graduation certificate when you become a Christian. You get a birth certificate. That's what baptism's all about. It's not because you've got a certain stage of holiness. It's like your birth certificate. Uh, so so they'd, they'd put their, their faith in God and they'd started this, this journey of faith. The Christian life is, is a journey. The, the early Christians were called followers of a way, followers of, of a road, followers after Jesus. So the Christian life's not a sort of, okay, I've become a Christian, that's good, that's my eternal life insurance dealt with, that's it now. No, no, it's, it's, it, it's an adventure of faith. And uh, that's what happened. And, uh, and then what happened was people think, well, then it will be easy because God's with me. I don't know if you've ever thought like that. usually don't think like that for long. But, 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 but you can think that. And, and what happened was uh, that they experienced God's meanderings. Have you, I don't know if you've ever experienced God's meanderings. Just sort of, you go and you think you're going from there to there and you end up over here. Anyone find, sorry? God's geography, very good. Excellent. God's geography is not the same as ours. We think we're going to go down a motorway and we find ourselves on the, not even the B road, somewhere completely different, thinking, well, where do I go now? And that's what happens to them. You can read about it in, in Exodus um, verse, uh, 13, uh, verse 17. When God let the people go, when Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. That was the M5. And they, they're ending up on the B7329. And God said, if they, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So it's interesting because actually the Bible says they came out of Egypt fully armed. So they're there feeling all tough. We've trusted in the Lamb of God. God's on our side. He's going to lead us out. And while I'm going out, I've got my sword. I've got a load of gold from my neighbor because I asked them and they gave it to me. Uh, And they felt a bit invincible. But God looked to them. They feel ready for the next thing. But God looks at them and says, you're not not ready at all. 
actually. You, you think you're ready. If I send you that way, the way you want to go down the M5, you're going to be in big trouble. So I'm going to, going to take you down the B5732 because that way you'll be protected from things you think you're ready for, but you're not. Ever find that in life? You think it's going to be like this and this. I can see the way ahead and then uh, doesn't quite work out that way I, I want it to. And it says, so God led them around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. So they thought they were ready for a battle and God says, you're not ready for a battle. Guess who's right? Well done, that man. Top of the class. <laughs> Congratulations. You get a prize. I haven't got a prize. God's right. You look full of doubt then. You weren't sure, were you? <laughs> now, when you and God disagree, he's always right. And, and so the, the, they, they experience God meand, God's meanderings. And um, I just want to say there may be a number of us, because life is like that, who, who think, well, how did I end up quite here? I thought I'd be there by now, but, but it hasn't quite, life hasn't worked out as I thought it would. That, that's, don't, don't panic. God, God was with them. They, they were somewhere they didn't want to be. They'd gone on a different route. <laughs> He's got a good pair of lungs, hasn't he? He's great. <laughs> they, they went by a different route to the route they thought they would go down. But God is with you in all your meanderings. In the meanderings of life, God is still with you. It's a sovereign thing doesn't may not look like it may not feel like it but God is with you and then by faith what happens next is they reach a dead end that, that's what happens they, they march out and, and they find that uh, that that they're they're there by the Red Sea so, well I've got my Tesco tokens when's the tunnel open there's, there's, no, there's, there's no tunnel when's the ferry start there's no ferry they're just stuck what do they do now they're stuck, completely stuck. And then it gets worse because Pharaoh has a change of mind. He's let them go. Then he realizes he's, um, he gets over the grief of the loss of all the firstborn. He's angry and he's losing his labor force. And so he sends the army out, either to kill them or to get them back. And, uh, and so they've got the sea in front of them and an army behind them. And there may be a few of us who feel a bit like that. I don't know. That's, they're just facing overwhelming odds. They, they've, they've tried to follow God and now they're stuck. They're in a cul-de-sac. They're scared. They don't know what to do next. That's the situation they, they got themselves into. Uh, it says in chapter 14 of Exodus and verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. They cried out to God. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't just cry out to God. They also said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die to the desert? So the hero quickly becomes the villain. That's leadership. Uh, what have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptian. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So they're stuck. They're in a, a hard place. They've reached a dead end, even though they were living by faith. See, faith doesn't mean that you don't go funny routes. Faith doesn't mean that sometimes you don't think, 
I don't know what on earth to do. Faith doesn't even mean that you don't sometimes get into scary situations. Although your trust in God has to be bigger than, than the scariness, if that makes sense. That's what happened. And so they got to a place where they must have thought, what's going on? They did the right thing in crying out to God. They did the wrong thing at moaning to Moses. But that's the situation they got to. See, God's providence does lead us sometimes into impossible situations. God's, God's sovereignty sometimes brings us into places that seem like a dead end, but it's still his mercy. Only God can make new beginnings out of dead ends. Only, only God can do that in our lives. He can make new beginnings out of dead ends. So what can we learn from this whole passage? I just got a, a, a number of things. Firstly, God wants to glorify his name. God wants to glorify his name. Uh, after this was over in uh, chapter 15, they, uh, Moses and Miriam composed a song, a worship song. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Chapter 14 and verse 4. Um, God had said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He'll pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know I am the Lord. God will glorify his name. Even in the middle of a mess, even in the middle of difficulties, God has purposed to glorify his name. It says it again in, in four, chapter 14 of Exodus 17 and 18. I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will go after them. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army. We often think of God getting glory just through the goodies, just through, just through the church. But here it says, I, I will get glory even from those who don't believe in me. I will, get, I will glorify my name even from Pharaoh who opposes me and worships other gods. God will be glorified. Not only that, but other nations are going to hear about what God does. You see, do you notice how God's view of it is so much bigger? They, they can't see anything because it's just these circumstances are so, they just fill our horizon. But God's looking on and says, no, I will get glory even through the things that oppose you. I will glorify my name. I just will. That's God. He's huge. And not only that, that he's, he's got other nations in mind. He says, uh, you see, other nations are going to hear what God does. It says in, in the song I spoke about, Exodus 15, verse 14 and 15. It says, the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom, that's another nation, will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. What's he, what, you see, God, God has got a much bigger view of it than they have. They're thinking, we just want to escape. Now we're not going to escape. We're going to die. Help God and Moses, it's all your fault. That was, that, was their entire, that was their entire perspective. Whereas God was saying, look, I'm God, and I'm God of all the nations. I'm going to glorify my name. In your circumstances, God wants to glorify his name. But he's got a bigger view of that. He's looking at others, other people, other nations, other neighborhoods. And, and kingdoms will come and go, won't they? I mean, where's the Egyptian kingdom now? 
Where's the Persian kingdom? Where's the Greek kingdom? Where's the Roman king, kingdom or empire? Where's the British empire? Where, where, where's any of it? Kingdoms and empires come and go. And I think Jonathan preached on Rahab. Um, was that last week? In Canaan, ahead of time, Rahab, the prostitute, hears about this and is convinced that the Lord is God. And, and because of that, she rescues the spies. Do, do, you, see, do you see? So, so the people of Israel are saying, oh, God's not doing anything, he's not rescuing us. But actually, what God does is to prepare the way for them to go into the promised land to this lady over there that they've never even heard of. God does far more behind our backs than he does in front of our faces. He's always working in ways we can't begin to understand. And actually, there was another whole race called the Gibeonites. We haven't got time to look at their story. But they, they hear about what God does with the Red Sea, and they decide already, I don't know what the time period was, they decide they're going to surrender. They just down tools. So, right, that's it. We're going to surrender. See, God is working far more than we know he is. That's something else. So God will glorify his name. Other nations will hear about what God does. God, and the obvious other one is only God can remove unremovable problems. God can do it. And, and in this psalm that Miriam and Moses write, there's a, there's a chorus that says, the horse and rider God has swept into the sea keeps coming i don't know what the tune was you can make one up the horse and rider he's swept into the sea and, and you know what the phrase is the, the same phrase is used as, as as if if there's a fly on someone's shoulder and you, you go like that or some crumbs just oh, i'm a bit of a messy eater just that's it actually he's talking about a mighty army he's talking about the world power of his day it's like, it's like the whole of the USA and the USSR armies got together to crunch us. And God says, oh yeah, I can flick them into the sea, yeah. Just deal, deal with that. That's, that's the power of our God. These things, that, these things that seem so insurmountable to us, our circumstances, things that rage against the church or uh, economic things or the future or health things, that, that they seem so huge. But God is sovereign and he can remove immovable problems like swatting away a fly. Go on. Just go. That's the power of our God. I think I just, it just feels like God's wanting to show us a different perspective on things. Because circumstances, I know for myself, and I'm sure you do, circumstances can just overwhelm us, can't they? They fill our horizons. And God says, yeah, but it's just a fly. Just a fly. It's not minimizing our pain or uncertainty or fears, but saying, hey, I'm so much bigger than the things you're facing. So much bigger. You don't begin to understand. You, you think you're, in, you're lost, but actually you're on my mirandrings. It's okay, trust me. You think you're in a cul-de-sac and you're stuck. It's okay, just trust me. Have faith in me. I can deal with whatever you're facing. And I noticed that, that, that then, obviously, you know the story how Moses held out, his, um, held out his staff and the sea parted. The Israelites went through and the Egyptians, as they were partway through, got stuck in the, in the mud and the waters came back and there was a tremendous victory for God. But it's not just his power that we see in this story, it's also his love. In chapter 15 and verse 13, he says this, In your unfailing love, 
you will lead the people that you have redeemed. And in your strength, you'll guide them into his holy dwelling. There's the strength of God and also the love of God shown in this story. Don't we need to know both? If God was only loving, that would be nice, but not necessarily of much help. If God was only strong, I would be terrified. But, but the fact that he's both strong and loving, I find wonderful. Don't you? So encouraging. That my God isn't just strong and thinks, ah, fed up with him. No, he's strong and he's loving. And he's not just loving, but he's able to come to our rescue and be strong in our circumstances. I love that. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you've redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. He sticks with the people he's saved. Aren't you glad about that? He doesn't get them out of slavery and then say, okay, lads, over to you. You're on your own now. (laughs) I'm so glad. I'm so glad he's stuck with me. I'm sure sometimes he thinks, what are you doing, Thomas? But, but he sticks with me. In all the meanderings, in all, all the dead ends, he sticks with us. He leads them, he leads us, and he guides us. It's a demonstration of love and power. And don't we need to know that? And I don't know about you, we don't need to know that just Sundays. In fact, Sundays are one of the easier days to know God's love and power because we're, we're together, we can enter into the presence of God, can know him here, we fill our minds with the truths that we're singing. That's one of the easier days to know. We, we need to know that when we go to the office and someone says something really hurtful, don't we? That, we need to know that he's with us then. We need to know when, when we're struggling with some big fam- family issue, We need to know when we're visiting someone who's sick. We need to know when we've got big decisions to make in family life. We need to know that he's with us in the world, don't we? We need to know that he's full of power and love at work, at college, when we're out in the world, that that he is with us in those cul-de-sacs. He's with us in in those situations. Does that make sense? I, th- I, think, I think it's so important to know that God is with you. A- a- and here's a sobering thing about these people. Because it says in Hebrews, by faith the people of God did this, that and the other. Uh, but the thing is, faith is a lifestyle, not just a moment. There are moments where you're called particularly to trust God. Or particularly to, like Moses, hold your walking stick out now. That was a moment of faith. But, and the people of God sort of trusted God, although they moaned quite a lot. But, but do you know, the sad thing is this. This is the only act of faith ever recorded of that generation. Isn't that sad? It's the only time this generation of the people of God are recorded as, of believing in him. So that they had a faith moment. They cried out to God. And they went through the Red Sea, although they also did a fair bit of moaning. After that, they just did moaning. <laughs> you, can, you can read about it all through the book of Exodus. It's, a, it's in many ways a tragic book, although it's exciting, the people of God coming out, knowing the presence of God, receiving a, an, an agreement with God, Ten Commandments. All, that's all good, but actually it's somewhat tragic 
because it's the only time that whole generation trusted God. What their track record mostly was was this, disunity, discontent, and moaning. That's mostly what they did. God forbid that we should be like that. It's tragic because they'd seen the miraculous power of God. They saw his provision. They saw a demonstration of his love. Actually, they continued to see his provision as he gave them manna every single day. They continued to see his faithfulness, but they never really trusted him. And in the end, they didn't enter into the things that they might have entered into as the next generation did. And God said, look, I'm sorry, guys, but you're going to all die. You'll live out your lives in the wilderness. Forty years. Must have been tough. Wandering around 40, 40 years, 40 years of funerals, thinking, oh, we didn't trust God. He just moaned. Next day, Mrs. Ben so-and-so's passed away. Oh, we're really sorry. Funeral, 12 o'clock, another funeral. Oh, we didn't trust God. 40 years, can you imagine 40 years of only funerals until that whole generation died and another generation uh, rose up that were going to trust God and believe in him for breakthrough, believe in his power, believe in his love. I think it's a very sad thing. And they they started it at the Red Sea. They trusted God, and at at that very same moment, they gave way to to a complaining attitude that would blight them. That's that's why the Bible says, above all things, guard your heart. So so easy, isn't it? Because because we're all human beings with failings. It's so easy for that to enter our, above all things, guard your heart. It began in the end to blight them. There in Exodus 14, verse verse 11, I read it out. Was it because there were no graves you brought us to die here? We can understand that fear, but they let fear just run away with them. So, so it became not only we're in danger, but we're in danger, it's Moses' fault. And then it was, Moses, you probably wanted us to die. <laughs> you can see that, that, that their thinking was going, <laughs> Moses must have thought, what? what? What do you mean? Of course I didn't want you to die. Of course I didn't. God's going to save us. But, but they gave way to something in our hearts. Guard our hearts. We need to hear God speak to us this morning, just like he did through Moses in those days. I, I, I love what Moses said here in Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14. He says, number one, don't be afraid. And they couldn't say to Moses, well, it's easy for you to say, because he was there with them in the same circumstances. Don't be afraid. It's one of the most repeated phrases in, in the Bible. Someone said to me 365 times, ah, it's, I don't know if that's true or not. It's sort of, if it isn't, it's a very convenient untruth to propagate, I think. (laughs) It may not be true, but it's good. It's worth repeating anyway. Don't be afraid. Certainly many, many times in Scripture. Don't be afraid. Some of us here today might, might need to hear God saying to us afresh, come on, come on now, don't be afraid. Come on, I know, I, I, know there's, I know you're in a cul-de-sac. I know you're meandering. I know there's a sea in front and an army behind. I know all that, but don't be afraid. I'm with you. And then it says this, stand firm. Just stand firm. There, there are times where God calls us to take a step of faith. There are. There are times where we, there are other times when he says flee, usually if we're in temptation. 
flee temptation. But, but here he says, no, come on, just stand firm. Sometimes faith is not taking a great big thing. It's just saying, okay, we're here. We're just going to trust you. Accept. We're just going to trust you. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. And I love the third one. The Lord will fight for you. Isn't that good? We've got a God who's on our side. I don't know who you like on your side, but you can't get anybody better on your side than God. A God who actually fights for us. Amen? Amen. Let's just bow our heads in... uh,